Governor Bill Lee introduces new investments in K-12 teacher raises and a new endowment for mental health. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of February 3rd. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. We are recording a late night session of this uh, podcast. Uh, We just came after finishing up our coverage of Governor Bill Lee's second state of the state. And we are here to recap and analyze some of the highlights and the lowlights uh, from the evening. So, uh, Natalie, probably one could argue the biggest winner of the evening was education, specifically uh, K-12. Take the listeners through some of the main highlights. Right. Well, the the big news is there are going to be 4% raises for teachers. Um, So that amounts to $117 million um, in the coming fiscal year, which is the most, you know, teacher raises that have been given out in the state at once. They're also um, planning to to do a few things to try to attract more teachers, specifically younger teachers. Um, one of that is is boosting the starting pay from thirty six thousand um, to thirty eight thousand this coming year, and then again up to forty thousand the following year. The governor said um, he he doesn't want a teacher in Tennessee to be making less than forty thousand dollars. After the speech, uh, I talked to uh, Beth Brown, the president of the uh, Tennessee Education Association, and she said that this investment is significant and it is part of chipping away at the overall, um, you know, idea of supplying a ton of money towards education. Her group is calling for $1.2 billion invested in education. Uh, that it's a start, these increases for salaries, but you know, there's more work to be done. Uh, and she also praised the governor for this uh, $250 million idea on K-12 mental health trust fund. Yeah, so that is essentially going to be an endowment. The, the money is going to be invested this year, but um, they've made it clear that school districts around the state won't actually start being able to use that money um, to help with behavioral health resources in schools until a later date. We don't really know when that is going to be accessible, but they are going to be um, conducting a year-long needs assessment in which um, the, it sounds like the Department of Mental Health Substance Abuse Services, maybe also the Department of Education are going to be talking with schools around the state about what they need, what their teachers need, what their students need to help um, students who are experiencing mental health crises, who have mental health diagnoses, um, where teachers just aren't able to devote their own time and resources and, and frankly, don't have the expertise um, to to deal with those students and to help them. And they have very limited um, social workers and counselors at the schools now. Overall, there were a host of education-related proposals that the governor outlined in his state of the state. There were a ton of people cheering, and most notably, uh, Education Commissioner Penny Schwinn, who was almost leaping out of her chair (laughs) at certain points uh, when he was announcing these investments. Yeah, she was the cheerleading captain um, during the speech. There were, yeah, at least... I mean, probably four or five times where uh, she would lead the standing ovation. She would she she was in the front row. She would jump up 
um, very enthusiastically um, clapping, nodding your head. And it wasn't even just on education initiatives. She also did the same thing for the, the paid family leave announcement and maybe a couple other things. Um, but she she certainly was expressing her enthusiasm with the budget. Of course, these evenings, these state of the states are often used as an opportunity to uh, show support for the governor. Uh, there were a lot of standing ovations, a lot of applause, general uh, jovial nature in the chamber. Uh, there was a, a few ideas uh, like criminal justice reform ideas that the governor came out with. Uh, but, you know, I think to some people, uh, they may not have been the uh, overarching and sweeping reforms that the governor has maybe outlined for a long-term project. Right now, he seems to be focused on on three, he, he highlighted in his speech, three main areas, and they include expanding recovery courts, uh, community supervision, and revamping the occupational licensing for people leaving prisons. Those aren't quite the same as what we've seen in other states. Yeah. Well, um, certainly there have been a number of other states, including southern states, that have engaged in and criminal justice reform measures, um, you know, Mississippi fairly recently eliminating mandatory minimum sentences, reducing uh, the criteria for uh, viol- technical parole violations, which are basically small infractions that, that put people back in prison fairly fairly quickly while they're on parole. Um, Louisiana has has done some similar stuff with expanding eligibility um, for who can, who can be included in drug courts, and that also includes um, some first-time violent offenders, the same thing with expanding eligibility for uh, their probation programs. Um, but in Tennessee, we have heard a lot of talk from Bill Lee um, about the importance of criminal justice reform over the past couple of years. When he was on the campaign, he frequently talked about how his time volunteering in prison ministry um, had given him this vision for helping with rehabilitation and, and some other um, priorities like that. And then, you know, like last year we heard that he wanted to do some stuff with criminal justice reform. You know, there was a few tweaks made here and there, um, few bills passed and people were kind of hitting, well, next year is going to be the year, you know, 2020 will be the year. And then we've gotten here and it, it doesn't seem like this is the year. I mean, there's going to be some, um, some changes passed, but it, it does not seem like this is going to be any sweeping comprehensive change. Well, and it certainly falls short of what the governor told uh, Republican senators back in, I believe it was November when I went to uh, the Republican caucus meeting. Uh, he said at one point that he wanted to, quote, empty the jails. Um, I don't think that these three reforms that he outlined in his speech are going to do that. No. You know, I think that they it, it's working around the edges, but but you're hardly, you know, uh, having mass commutations like you've seen in other states or, you know, mass pardons or whatever. In else. fact, they're giving more money to house people in local jails who they basically are saying uh, were they thought would be put on probation, but that isn't really happening. They're having, you know, a, a, an increasing number of um, defendants who are sentenced to fairly short terms in local jail. So they're they're putting another 40-some million dollars uh, in the Department of Correction budget to go towards uh, housing these these state inmates in local jails. Um, and and it, it does seem like there is some kind of uh, question about what kind of support there is in the legislature for some of these criminal justice reforms. Um, it seems like, you know, there are some things that the governor may want to do that that there just isn't support for in the legislature. Um, criminal justice reform is something that there is some degree of conservative support for it from certainly from a, a fiscal uh, conservative viewpoint and saving tax ta- taxpayer dollars. But um, 
there also is are some controversial measures in which uh, people are afraid of of letting violent offenders out who who they say could reoffend and and hurt their communities. Sticking along those lines, there were a couple of moments in the evening that, for those of you watching on the the feed. Uh, you don't quite get the entire view of what goes on in the chamber. Most of the time, uh, lawmakers and, and those in the galleries will stand at, at sort of the popular moments. But there are a few times uh, at any state of the state that uh, an idea kind of goes over like a lead balloon. And there were two such examples that I think both of us thought were notable. Uh, one of them was this FMLA policy. And the other uh, we can talk about in a minute. But Natalie, what happened when the governor touched on the uh, family leave policy. Well, uh, that was another one that, of course, Commissioner Schwinn uh, was very enthusiastic about. This is essentially an announcement the governor made a few weeks back where, um, by executive order, uh, effective March 1st, I believe, uh, the vast majority of state employees are going to start getting 12, up to 12 weeks of paid family leave. So that includes um, maternity leave, paternity leave, caring for um, a sick immediate family member um, when, when they themselves are out sick. Um, and also in, in some cases, like if you have a, a qualifying situation where a loved one is, is deployed in the military. Um, so th this was an announcement the governor made where neither the Speaker of the House or Senate uh, attended that press conference and um, uh, essentially put out statements afterwards saying, uh, we want to learn more about, you know, what this plan is. Um but but when the announcement was made again in the state of state speech, certainly people stood up and applauded. But there were a number of uh, Republican members who remained seated. It was like their act of defiance. They were not going to stand and show support for this. Um, there there you know is is talk that there's a a fiscal note associated with this bill that maybe wasn't conveyed in the governor's original announcement. And, and what is the legislature going to do about it? And overall, afterwards, we talked to leadership in the House. Uh, House Speaker Cameron Sexton said, you know, this this is sort of the, the process, right? It goes, uh, the governor presents an idea and it goes through the legislative committees and they massage it and it may change. That's not new. But, you know, I think it is interesting, again, uh, to note those sort of uh, occasional instances when the Republican Party is not entirely coalesced behind an idea. Because those are really going to be uh, the issues that uh, could see some some stumbling blocks. Uh, Democrats, by and large, can't really do too much unless they join forces with Republicans to to halt or completely slow things down. Uh, but when Republicans disagree with Republicans, that's the time that you know it's it's certainly notable. Another one of those times uh, in the speech was this uh, a pilot program that the governor announced for the first time tonight uh, related to postpartum coverage. Uh, that comes after, a, I believe it was in a no, uh, November budget hearing. Uh, we heard reports that there were as many as 52 uh, uh, recent uh, mothers who had a child who died uh, shortly after their insurance ran out. Is yeah, that right? So, so, this, uh, so, yeah, that story was that in 2017, 52 uh, new mothers in the state who were in that postpartum uh, phase after birth died. And um, essentially what the state is going to do now is for 10 care patients um, and a, about half of the births that take place in the state um, are, are paid for through the, the state's Medicaid program, um, the, they're going to extend from the current 60 days to 12 months um, 10 care coverage for those new mothers in an effort to try to prevent something like this from happening again, where you have a, basically a one woman a week dying um, after giving birth. 
And of course, you know, there are a bunch of other notable moments and investments and ideas that the governor proposed uh, quickly to just run down the line. Uh, There were a few that that were significant, including this hundred million dollars for municipalities and counties. This is seemingly a a new idea. I I don't believe I've heard this where uh, what what can local governments do? Well, they they can't use it for recurring budget items. They can use it for capital improvements, you know, technology, IT upgrades, public works departments, utility things like that. Uh, this was an announcement the governor made where, you know, before he could get it out of his mouth, uh, a group of of mayors from some of the 15 distressed counties uh, in the state, which are basically poor rural counties, uh, just just shot up like they stood up immediately and and basically. Um, no one could see them because they were back in the back corner, but they were the first to stand up and applaud the governor's announcement that um, $100 million is going to go towards counties and, and municipalities around the state, um, giving that taxpayer money back to them. And of course, there was also a uh, just to kind of go down the line and 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 uh, you know uh, bring it down in financial order. You've got a fifty million dollar investment in the state's rainy day fund. That's essentially the the reserves that the state has uh, for if and when there is an economic slowdown. Uh, the that would bring the total of the rainy day fund to one point one billion dollars. Uh, after that, there was a forty four million dollar uh, uh, investment in housing inmates and local jail that you mentioned earlier, Natalie. And then uh, what about the privilege tax? That was a significant announcement, it seems. Yeah, so there was already a big cut to that last year. They eliminated, I think, around 15 professions from this tax last year, which it had been for many years, this $400 annual fee that doctors, lawyers, lobbyists, um, you know, a number of other people had to pay. Uh, They eliminated all but a handful of the professions on those. So there's still doctors, lawyers, lobbyists, <laughs> things like that. Um, but this year they're cutting for those remaining people who who have to pay that tax. They're cutting it in half from $400 to $200, which is actually the amount it started as in 1992 when it was created. Um, we we asked for some numbers on how many people this, this cut will affect. Um, the, the Finance and Administration Department said there are currently 191,000 people still paying this tax. We don't know um, how many of those people are out of state folks. And that's a, a significant Significant uh, development because a lot of times in the last few years, lawmakers have been the ones that are leading the charge to either reduce or completely eliminate that privilege tax. That hasn't really had the governor's support in the past. He, he didn't really stand in the way, but uh, certainly wasn't, you know, coming from the bully pulpit. This now coming from the administration is a significant uh, changing course for the privilege tax. Uh, of course, there is also a $35 million investment related to ECF choices. What's that again? It's the Employment and Community First Choices Program. It's part of TenCare, um, and it it provides services for people with both intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, you know, different different treatments, and also it can help with vocational training and job placement and things like that. There's about 5,000 people on the waiting list for that program currently. Um, so this investment will basically, you know, immediately provide services to about half of those. We also heard of of the governor's proposal for $32 million overall for mental health and substance abuse, $25 million to invest in broadband. He joked maybe he can get broadband on his farm back in Williamson County, Uh, a $10 million investment to fight hepatitis C in the state's prisons. That's on top of uh, money invested last year in the budget. And then uh, another $9 million investment to bolster pay for probation and parole officers. 
officers. Uh, uh, sort of a near and dear to my heart, $7.7 <laughs> million investment in driver's license issuances. Congratulations, Joel. <laughs> I don't know if I deserve congrats, um, but essentially the governor wants to pay 80-some employees or fund for 80-some new employees to be dispersed to uh, help address the onslaught of people heading to uh, driver's license facilities throughout Tennessee ahead of this upcoming uh, deadline for real ID. And then finally, a $5.6 million investment for 25 new TBI agents was also in the governor's budget. Overall, what's the scope, the size of the budget, Natalie? It's $40.8 billion. That is uh, the the largest budget on record in the state. First time uh, we have cracked the, the $40 billion figure. And that would be a 3.7% increase, according to uh, Finance and Administration Office, from the previous year. Uh, and that also includes $91.5 million in reductions. Typically speaking, the governor's office asks every state agency to identify reductions. This sounds like they they exceeded those Came expectations. More than they were asked. Yeah, they were all asked to identify 1% cuts in their departments. And um, the governor's office, FNA, they they basically got 1.7% cuts from those departments. So overall, again, a lot to unpack here as we pour through the uh, hundred page, hundreds of pages, uh, budget documents, the governor's state of the state address. We hope that we can provide you uh, with a, a basic understanding of some of it. Uh, we will also continue to focus on some of these proposals throughout the legislative session that the governor has and however the legislature may change them. Um, that's pretty much all we've got for this week, right? Yeah, um, I will. We'll keep following all of this, and there there will be updates. Like there, you know, tomorrow, so Tuesday, they're planning to release um, how much each of these these cities and counties are supposed to get through this taxpayer dollar return program, and so we'll have all of that information for you as soon as we can get our hands on it. We, because of the late hour, are going to forego our usual uh, weekly roundup of news. Of course, there has been a whole lot of it, ranging from Lamar Alexander's decision on the impeachment vote to the start of the Iowa caucuses, which are happening right now, and we don't know what's Including happening. Including a so. satellite location in Nashville. I heard that there were seven people <laughs> there. But, I think Bernie won it. <laughs> but for now, uh, we thank you for tuning in and appreciate your continued listenership. You can find us on iTunes, Spreaker, uh, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. Uh, it really helps. This podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. As always, you can find us on Tuesdays. Sorry for the delayed uh, find on this particular episode because uh, of a late night recording. But uh, we always appreciate you tuning in. So thanks again. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week. <laughs>